Today on the block, we have Keisha Brown, a double lung transplant survivor, and she's going to take us on a journey that she took, you know, in a life-changing event. Hopefully, she inspires someone as she tells her story of her struggles and, you know, all of that. So what's going on, Keisha? Nothing much. Just chilling over here. How you been doing? I've been doing wonderful. That's good. That's good. So you recently had an appointment. How did that go? Yeah, I had an appointment on the 19th at Duke. And actually, it went good. Um, no signs of rejection. No signs of any type of infection. No type of viral infection or anything like that. So actually, it went good. My breathing, I had to do um, PTF, which is a pulmonary function test. And that's actually stable. It's not going up like they want to go. It's just actually like staying in the middle. But that's probably come from lack of exercise because you have to do a lot of exercise. Okay. That's good to hear. I'm glad you're doing okay. Mm -hmm. So tell me how it all started. Like what kind of symptoms did you have, you know, when it first started? Well, back in 2006, I was always having shorter breath, couldn't hardly breathe. Like it was terrible. So actually I went to my doctor and um, she had me go to, I had an MRI done. I had a what was it, MRI, x-ray, and I had a biopsy done and everything showed up, nothing. Well, they said it, it could have been sarcoidosis. It had the same size and symptoms as sarcoidosis. So he was like, come back within a year. We'll do another. Long story short, we're going to fast forward. So I was like working one day. I worked at a nursing home. And when I went to work, I felt good. But when I came home, I didn't feel too good. And that particular day when I got sick, it was just like I had like this pain like in my upper back. Like it was like, I don't know, burning or something. And when I was working and if I went outside to get some air, I felt better. But when I came back inside the building, it was just like I couldn't breathe. And then I was pushing this lunch cart and like it was getting heavier. My oxygen level had got down to like, I think it was like 88 or something like that. So that night I came home from work and I laid down, but I couldn't go to sleep. It's like my heart was feeling like it was palpitating. So when I got in the shower, I felt better. But I laid down and I'm like, Ugh, can't breathe. It's something ain't right. So. I told my dog, I was like, well, I got to go to the hospital. I'll be back. So I told myself, I said, if I go to the hospital and the parking lot is full, I'm going back home. So I drove myself to the emergency room, pull up at the emergency room. It was a parking space at the front door of the emergency room. So I parked in the space. I sit there for a while because it was cold outside. So I was like, shoot, I'm already here. I'm out with to get out. So when I went inside the ER, I told them I was like, it's my heart. And next thing I know, they come with a wheelchair. And this is like, I couldn't breathe. I started sweating. And from then, I ended up in the hospital. I stayed in there for like two weeks. Doctor, My doctor was like, well, we got to help you. She explained the process to me or whatever. Because it was like, I wasn't getting any better. Just like, I was just getting worse, getting worse. So <clears throat> she was like, you got to let us put you on the vent. 
And um, as she was explaining to me, I was saying my prayers. So I was like, okay. I was like, well, I walk with God. So I went on an event for like two weeks. And then all of a sudden, I just started getting better, getting better, getting better. And um, I came home on oxygen in 2015. I came on oxygen. So then I had to go so, back and see my... Go ahead. So, so what did what did they diagnose you with? Well, they say it's an uh, intersolution lung disease because I had several biopsy and they wanted to say it was sarcor, but it wasn't sarcor. I had many biopsies done. Everything came back that it, it was not sarcor. So they called it an intersolution lung disease. Mm. They couldn't really pinpoint and say, okay, hey, it's sarcor. It had the same size and symptoms as sarcor, but it was, I guess, something different. Okay. So when they told you that, you know, what were your feelings like? Explain. You it know, out. I really didn't have a feeling. Like, I, I didn't, like, I just had no reaction. Like, okay. Like, I don't know. Like, at that time, I, I don't, I just didn't have a reaction or a feeling. And um, mm -hmm. I remember Dr. Ramsam, she told me, she said, I'm going to refer you to go to um to Durham to do. I was like, okay. So I was like, well, we can get a second opinion. So I'm thinking I'm going up there to get a second opinion. I didn't mm -hmm. know she was actually sending me up there for a referral for to get on the transplant list. So, so. Prior, so prior to you, you know, getting to that point, you know, you had to go through a lot of stuff. I know you had to kind of walk around with an oxygen tank and all of that. So how long mm -hmm. before you got the word that you had to get a, a, a transplant, you know, where you on the oxygen tank and, you know, what happened during that time? So it was all this happened in 2015. In 2015, that's when I got sick, stayed in the hospital two weeks or whatever. You had to do a follow-up appointment. Each time to follow up appointment is like my breathing was getting worse or whatever. So that's when she told me, okay, well, you have to go to Duke. So I went to Duke or whatever. So it's a process that you have to go to. When you go to Duke, you have to like take these, stay like a week or whatever. You take these different seminars and they tell you about the transplant. They tell you what you have to do, what you can't do. They tell you that, you, okay, you have to raise so amount of money before you can start you know, the process of it. So you go home, you got plenty of time to like try to raise money, try to raise money, you know? And then eventually, once you raise enough money, you'll move, relocate up there. So you get the word. So they were telling you that it's not going to get any better and you had mm -hmm. to have a, you know, both lungs replaced, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... When you were sitting in that doctor's office and that doctor delivered that news to you, I know it was real to you. What were your feelings like? Did you break down and so, cry? Did you lose faith? No, actually, I didn't. I took everything in stride. And this is what I, because you have to go see counseling and all this type of stuff like that. So I remember when I went to do, and this pulmonologist, he said that you're in stage four, like that, right? So I said, oh, I'm in stage four. I said, well, how long I got to live? So he was like, no, 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 it's not like that. He said the, the good thing about 
my disease was that it's a slow processing disease. You can live longer or you can't because it's it's slowly. It's not like really fast. It's a slow processing disease. So I was like, well, okay. I was like, because you telling me I got, I'm in stage four. So I'm thinking like, oh, I got six months. Let me go have me some fun or something. Like, you know, to me, it was like I told the, one of the counselors, I said, you know, I said, it's a 50-50 chance. I said, I can not have this surgery and live. I can have the surgery and die. I said, so it's really like a 50-50 chance, you know? I wasn't mm-hmm. going to sit there and, like, some people say, okay, I got something. I'm going to die or whatever. No. I kept okay. pushing. So you, you keep kept living. a positive positive yeah. outlook on it at all times? Mm-hmm. I, I kept pushing. I kept living. I would go to therapy. I had to do um, therapy. So I started off therapy down in Greenville first. I would go to therapy with makeup on. They looking at me like, did she come to work out or did she come to look pretty? I wore makeup before I got sick, so I kept wearing makeup. I kept being me. So you, there were certain oh, things you had to do before the surgery? Yes. You have to lose weight and you okay. have to like raise money. You have to actually, you have to lose the weight because you have to be a certain weight to get into the surgery. They'll tell you that, but you really truly don't really have to lose weight. But you, you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're really obese, you got to lose that weight, you know? Because they want you as healthy as possible. Okay. So did you change your diet any? I actually, I did. I changed my diet a little bit, and I worked out more. I joined the gym, went to the little classes and stuff like that. And you just got to get energized. Okay. So what did you start eating? You start eating less meat or... Well, actually, I only eat chicken, turkey, and fish. So I just started eating small portion of stuff. Okay. Like, don't try to, like, overdo it. I just, small portions. Okay. So prior to the surgery, did they put you on any medications or were you on any medications, you know, before that? Yeah. So after surgery, you'll be on a bunch of medication. And um, I'm on like two, it's two main rejection medication, which is mycophenolate. And um, I take Jengraf cell, um, Cyclosporum. Those are my two major um, rejection medication. And I also take um, azithromycin, which is some type of antibiotic, which they use as also for rejection medication. And... I take a tovaquad, which is liquid medication to prevent you from getting pneumonia and all that type of stuff like that. Okay. And so I have been vaccinated. Did you get your booster or you just got the two shots? Yeah, I got I got my booster. I got all three shots. So in March, I'll go take another booster shot. Because when you're taking these rejection medication. The rejection medication is to trick your body into thinking that the, that the body part that's not yours is yours. So it mm-hmm. your immune system is shot because it's tricking your, your brain and your body and saying, okay, hey, these organs are yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going into the surgery, right? Mm-hmm. So you get the call. All right, they're going to move you up to Riley, right? That's what you said, Riley? Yeah, mm-hmm, Durham. Durham. 
Durham and they set you up in a, an apartment. How long did you have to stay in an apartment before the surgery? So actually in January, 2018, me and my mom, we relocated to, and my dad, we relocated to Durham. Um, we started, um, so we relocated. We started therapy because you have to start therapy. You start therapy. So I start working out, going to therapy every day or whatever. So then after you're halfway through therapy, they um, told me I was on the list. Okay. So I think I really didn't even complete my therapy and I was on the list. So I got on the list in February. And then I think around the the middle of February, they called me and they was like, hey, Miss Brown, we got a possible, we have may have a, a loan for you. So I was like, okay. So um, it was just like shock, exciting, and just like, wow, like, is this real, you know? Mm-hmm. So we go to the hospital, whatever, and check in. So when you go, you have to check in. They prep you like you're going to have surgery. So then it's come the waiting game. You have to wait to see if the lungs is a match for you, you know, to see if the lungs is in the good and all this type of stuff like that. So the first time, it was a no-go. So we got left the hospital, went back home or whatever, Continue to go to therapy. You continue to work out. You continue to eat right. You continue okay, to do your so, normal. So the first the first time you went and they gave you word the word that okay we got a set of lungs for you right. Mm-hmm. They, it it actually was not a match. It wasn't a so, match. No. So it has to be like a roller coaster of emotions right now. Like you know, am I going to ever get a transplant I, done? You know, I still didn't feel that. I, I still didn't feel like okay this is never gonna happen i'm gonna end up passing away it's just like it it, it didn't it didn't trouble me okay. you understand mm-hmm. like it, it didn't it didn't bother me it didn't trouble me it didn't it you know it just was okay you we'll just try stayed again. focused and motivated mm-hmm. yeah okay so after that what happened you continue so, therapy so I, and yeah, we continue therapy. You continue to do the same thing that you was doing. Um, so the second time they called me, I think me and my mom was in Walmart, and they called. So I think we was in Walmart, I'm not for sure, but anyway, the second time they called, so we kind of like took our time. We was like, well, okay, so we learned from the first time. Because first time, you know, you like, oh, we got to get there really fast. You know what I'm saying? We ain't got time to do this. You just, hey, they say come to the hospital. You come right then. Mm-hmm. So the second time, we didn't have to rush because we know what to expect, you know? Okay. So the second time we went, you had to go through the same procedure. They set you up and prep you like you're going to have surgery. So they checked, you know, the lungs out. It wasn't a match. So, you know, they send you back home. You continue to go to therapy. You continue to do the same thing, you know? So the, the so, second time it wasn't a match? No, at all. Wow. And you still so, had the same same focus? Same like focus. It, wasn't, it didn't bother you? Right. Okay. So we go to how, therapy. How do, you, how do you keep that? How do you keep that, you know, that, you know, that positive outlook? Well, you know, when you go through a whole lot of stuff in life, you learn a lot of stuff in life. And when you have, uh, my saying is, 
I walk by faith. So in order to walk by faith, you got to preach it, right? So if you say you that believe in Jehovah, true. you believe in, yeah, if you believe in Jehovah, you believe in God and hey, you know, so I put my trust in him and I, hey, I gave it to him and I let his will be done. Whichever way it went, that's how it would have went. Okay. Okay. So now you're going for a third trial. What, what's going on? What happened? Yeah, so we go for the third one. So this time, I think me and my mom was in Walmart shopping at the time. So the lady calls. So, so you was in Walmart like, again um, shopping? Yeah, we was in Walmart again. Walmart's, Walmart was a spot up there. So we were in <laughs> Walmart at that time. So she called us. She was like, Miss Brown, we think we have a match for you. And then meanwhile, after that, after the second one, the therapy, the lady said, three times a charm. That's the saying they always use, three times a charm. The third time they call you, it's a charm. You might get it. So anyway, we was in Walmart shopping. So we go home. I said, well, Ma, I said, we ain't going to be in no rush now. She said, take our time or whatever. So I went home, and my meal was some oodle noodles. I went home, cooked me some oodle noodles, and ate them. <laughs> because the last two times, I didn't eat anything, and I had to sit at that hospital to about like 2 in the morning. Mm. And so I was want little noodles on your belly. Yes. So I said, one thing <laughs> that will fill you up is some oodle noodles. <laughs> <laughs> so we go to the hospital. They do the same procedure. They prep you like you're going to have surgery or whatever. So you have to wait. And I think it had to been about two in the morning when they called. They called me on my cell phone because they'll call you and let you know. They will call you before they call the nurses. So they called me on my cell phone and they told me that it was a match and it was a go. And um, wow. so they started, yeah, they started prepping me for surgery or whatever. And I think I remember telling my mama, I'll see you when I get back. Okay. Okay. So were you ever nervous? Like, okay, it's game time now. No, still wasn't nervous. Still wasn't nervous. I, I don't know what was wrong. I was just still, I don't know. I still wasn't, I still wasn't nervous. Okay. Okay, wow. So you go yeah. into surgery. So they prep you for surgery and you going into surgery. What's the last thing you remember before, you know, you fell asleep? Tell my mama I'll see you when I get back. That's it. And that's it. That's okay. it. I, I can't even tell you what happened during surgery. I don't even know. I, I can don't just don't even know. Okay, so you had to be in the hospital for how long? So I was in the hospital February the 24th into, I remember my birthday, I was in the hospital, which is April the 1st. I was in the hospital for my birthday. I think I might have got out about, was it May or June I got out of the hospital? I think I said about three or four months. Okay, three, four months. So mm -hmm. what was the first memory you had when you first woke up? So I was like... I guess I was like half coming through or whatever. All I know, this girl kept coming in the room, which I found out later was my sister. I didn't know who this lady was. But in my mind, I'm like, this lady keep coming in here. Here she go again. Why this lady keep coming in here like that? I didn't know it was my sister. I really couldn't see her face. I just like seen a shadow. Mm -hmm. And all I know, this lady just kept coming and kept coming in here, kept coming in here. And I did not know who this lady was, but it was my sister. 
<laughs> so I guess she would be the first person that I've seen, but I didn't really see her clearly. Mm -hmm. I could just hear her, but I couldn't, I couldn't describe her, who her voice was. I couldn't catch the voice. Mm hmm. Well, you know, it's loud enough for everybody to hear that voice. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I do remember the lady taking the, um, because I was on the vent and I remember her taking something out of my nose because I had to like breathe over the vent or something. I remember her doing something and she was telling me to breathe. Mm -hmm. I'm not quite sure what she was doing. So as you waking up and you hearing your sister and you, you know, begin to regain some of your senses, do you feel any pain? You know, I never felt any pain. Never. Okay. They must have had you on I, some good drugs, huh? Yeah, they had to. They, I mean, I even when I woke all the way up, they kept asking Miss Brown, "Are you in pain? You want some pain medicine? You need some patches?" I'm looking like, no, like I'm not hurting. No, I, I don't need anything. And uh, they would come in and kept asking me so much. I was like, okay, let me get the patches. And I really didn't even need the patches, but I just went on and got the patches so they'll stop asking me. Mm -hmm. And then I think because I was asleep so long that I didn't want to go to sleep. Mm. Like I could not go to sleep. They kept saying, Miss Brown, you need to go to sleep. I'm like, nah, I'm not sleeping. Like, I guess because I slept so long, I don't even know. But, and it's like I had all these crazy, like, dreams, like when I was asleep. Like, I said, a whole movie in my head when I was asleep. Really? And it had to be all that medication they had me on. Like, I, it was a whole sitcom in my head. Wow. So you kept yourself entertained. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So this surgery, they actually had to open you up, right? Yes. They opened me up. They um split me straight down in the middle. And um, so it's like they cut you and then they pull you back, you know, and they just take out your parts and put new parts in. Like it's a miracle. Okay. Wow. So and you didn't feel any pain, so they had to staple everything back up and yes, staple bolts and screws. So you have a file the form, right? So in this form, they ask you what type of lungs you want. They have a lung in the box, but it's actually a lung that they put inside a box, and they actually have more time to like really you I don't want to say dissect, but they have more time to look at the lungs to clean the lungs out good and to look at it and see if it's, you know, compatible for you or if it's good for you. Or mm -hmm. you can get an at-risk. At-risk meaning the person lung that you may get or body part that you may get, they may did drugs or they may have some type of background, you know? No, okay, or you I can say, you. Well, no. Yeah. Or you can say, well, no, I don't want that. I'd rather have a certain type. Mm -hmm. So it's your choice of what you want. Me, I pick and I pick the the at risk because simple fact, you you probably would get it quicker than saying, okay, hey, this is what I want. I want this type right here. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So okay. lungs, they don't give you that information, but like you can send them a thank you card and stuff like that. So I just want to say, you know, to the loved one family that donate their organ, I appreciate it. And I am forever grateful for that. So, you know, growing up, you really don't 
understand what the meaning of being a transplant, you know, a donor mean. You know, so growing up, you're like, oh, a donor, you know. But as you get older, you get to understand what's the meaning behind a donor is that you're saving somebody else's life. And that's just important. So, I mean, I think a, we need to change our outlook and I think we need to be on the donors list, you know. Give somebody else a second chance. And I'm grateful for it. Okay, so you got the at, at risk lung, lungs, and mm-hmm. they put them put them in you, stapled you up, and you didn't have any pain moving from left to right, moving from no. side to side, nothing. What about nothing. eating? How how did how did you eat? Did you have to eat through a tube, or were you able to eat on your own, or somebody fed you? No, so they had to do tube feeding for a while because you know when they. I, th- I think it comes all up to your esophagus or something like that. So they have to make sure you pass the eating test because some fact you have to pass the eating test because they don't want the food to get into your lungs because if you get mm-hmm. into your lungs then you can um, aspirate, you know? Mm-hmm. So you have to pass the feeding test. And, um, and if you can't pass it, then you have to be too fed for a while or you on thick and liquid which is stuff they put inside your liquid to make it thick so it can go down smoothly. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, once again, thin liquid, you can cough or it can you can aspirate and it can go back into your lungs. Okay. So you leave in the hospital, right? You get, mm-hmm. it's, time to, it's time to go home. Do you have to stay in the area or how long do you have to stay yeah. in the area? So you have to stay in the area. Actually, when I left the hospital, I was still on oxygen. Now, it's a, a different stroke for different people. Some people, the next day, they got up and walked because usually they try to get you up the next day after surgery. They try to get you up the next day mm-hmm. to walk around. I, that was not the case for me. I found out later that I had to have, like, I think I had four surgery because they left me open and they had to go back. So... Getting up the next day wasn't for me. I, I couldn't get up the next day. So mm-hmm. before you even leave the hospital, you have to walk around the unit. And I think he said you have to do it like 21 times before you can even, you know, get discharged from the hospital. You have to, you have to walk. You have to walk. And they actually come to your room and they do therapy with you. And, you know, a lot of times after you go through all that trauma, you, you just really don't feel like doing it. But. At the end of the day, you're saying, hey, I want to go home, so I better get up and walk. To me, the hardest thing ever was learning how to walk again. Okay, so like, you had to you relearn got, that. Yes. You had to learn how to walk. Because you got to think about it. You you land in that, you had a major surgery, and you land in the bed for a long time, so you're losing a lot of muscle mass. So mm-hmm. you got to get your strength back. So... PT will come in to help you with that to try to do strength training, try to get your strength back or whatever. And then occupation okay. will come in to, try to help you learn how to take a bath, you know, do stuff on your own, try to get your mm-hmm. do independent back. Okay. But to, to me, walking was one of the hardest things ever that you had to do. So how long was it before you felt comfortable walking again? I, you know, I was determined. So I kept pushing, I kept pushing. I asked the nurse, I said, hey, can we do some range of motions in the bed? Can we do some exercise in the bed? And they was like, yeah, sure. So they would come work with me and do uh, exercise in the bed, range of motion, try to get my legs strong. 
So they'll come every day to get you up the walk every day to try to get you. If they don't care if you take one, two step, that's the goal. You reach something. Mm-hmm. So when I did start the walking, they let me walk to the next, to the step down unit. Because first you're in the ICU and then you go to the step down unit. So when I started walking, they was like, oh no, you're going to walk over there. If you say come put your wheelchair and they push you over. Me, I walked over there to the next unit. Okay. So you was really motivated. Yes. Okay. So you had to stay in the area and then you mm-hmm. finally get to leave and go home, right? So mm-hmm. what, what were some of the struggles that you faced? You were still on oxygen for a while or? So after I got released from the hospital, I actually came home on oxygen for a little bit. So well, we were still in Durham. So you have to go back to therapy. After you come from the um, hospital, you exercise at home, then you go back to therapy. So once you go back to therapy for a while or whatever. So when I went in there, back to therapy, I on oxygen. And I was like, no, ma'am, you have new lungs. You come out that oxygen, and therapy people, they want no joke. They ain't sugarcoat nothing, and they push you. And uh, you know, of course, you freak out because you're used to oxygen. You know, I was on mm-hmm. oxygen ever since 2015, so I came depending on it. You know, so uh-huh. it's like when you don't have it and you've been dependent on it for so long, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't breathe because that's what your mind telling you is that. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. When actuality, if you're talking, you're breathing. Mm. So, so that was like, kind of the, the mental mental struggle you yeah. had. Mm-hmm. Because you were oh. so dependent on that oxygen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after you conquered that, right? So mm-hmm. what was next? What was next in your journey? You know, you got rid of the oxygen. And what was the the next challenge that you had to overcome? My next challenge was driving myself where I wanted to go at. So you wanted your own independence. Exactly. Because you can't drive for a while. Because mind you, you Mm -hmm. still got staples in you. You got staples all down here. So your staple stays in you for a while. So as long as you got them staples in your body, you can't drive. Somebody got to take you everywhere you go. So me, I can wait until them staplers came out because then, hey, I can drive myself. Okay. Okay. So everything didn't feel stiff or anything trying to nope. move, move around? Mm-mm. No, because, you know, even when you're doing therapy, you're doing stretching. They make sure you do a lot of stretching, a lot of stretching. So it's like it wasn't going to get stiff because you're doing that therapies and you're doing stretching too with the therapy. Okay, so. good. Good, good. So now you're coming up to your year mark, your first year. Um, what are your thoughts like going and after you, you know, finish that first year? My first year? I actually, a group of us went out to eat for my first year anniversary because I'm like, wow, I made it a whole year. So that was super exciting. And you just keep praying for many more years to come. So now I'm about to come on my fourth year. 
the fourth year, as I found out when I went to my daughter on Wednesday, the fourth year, well, they said the 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 lifespan of a transplant person, they say, is five years. But it all depends on the person. If you do everything you're supposed to do, you can live longer than that. So the fourth year, he says, because it's my fourth year, this is around the time that your body may begin to develop a rejection or may start showing signs of rejection. So you have to continue to push yourself. You got to continue to exercise. You have to just stay away from sick people. You just have to do what you're supposed to do. And your fourth year, what's the date? To date, four years will be what? Uh, you know, I say the 24th, but Preet says the 25th. She says 24th, 26th. <laughs> so I, I say the 24th, but if your wife, she'll say something different. So <laughs> I'm really not sure. All I know, I think it's the 20, between the 24th and the 25th. That'll okay. be my fourth year anniversary. Okay. That's good. Four years. That's, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely are inspiration for others to follow, regardless of what situation they're going through. Not necessarily, you know, it may not have to be exactly what you went through, but you're definitely mm-hmm. an inspiration for others to follow. You know, keep their their mind in the right spot and always stay, you know, in a positive mind frame because it's done wonders right. for you. It's done wonders yes, for you. Yeah. So... I, um... Go ahead. No, go ahead. You finish. So, all right. So I learned, as they always say, I understood the assignment or whatever. So, um, this guy named Smallwood, he passed away. He had cancer. When I first met him, he was always smiling, always smiling. And I'm like, why do he always smile, you know? And then when I heard his bio, you know, a little bit about his life, I understood why he smiles so much, you know, and and it opened my eyes and it taught me, like, no matter what you go through in life, continue to smile, no matter how hard it is or whatever, you know, just smile, you know, it, it'll get better. If it don't get better, it get a little easier. And then you got to think about it. You got family that's going to always be there for you. My biggest supporter was my family. And my friends. And as long as you got that good support system, you'll be all right. That's cool. It's always a story behind a smile. That's that's some good advice right there. Mm-hmm. Great advice, actually. Yeah. So you went to the doctor, right, recently, and your doctor mm-hmm. told you that you had to lose weight? Yeah, I have to lose some weight because they actually, they don't, they the smaller you are, the better it are for your lungs because you're lighter and you can breathe better and your lung will have room to expand. Mm-hmm. The heavier you are, it's kind of bad for your lungs. So what's your goal? So I spoke with nutritionist the other day. So she told me to watch stuff with sodium. So and I have to drink more water. She told me to not skip a meal, to eat like three or four times small food and to do calorie count. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying that. And how much and weight? And you have to stay active. 
How much weight do you want to lose? So I have to lose 10 pounds within four months. Okay. Okay. It's so doable if I put my mind to it, it's doable. It is. It is. So we're going to, we're going to ask the viewers to help you. All right. Add mm -hmm. some comments, mm -hmm. uh, some, some tips that Keisha can use so you can lose this weight. And then we're going to come back on your anniversary date, whether, whether it's the 25th or the 26th, one of them days. Right. And then we're going right. to see where you're at. We're going to see you yeah. where you're at with the weight loss. All right, sis. It was a pleasure speaking with you. And it was a pleasure talking to you too. And I'm glad you took time to share with the world your journey because I'm sure that it's going to inspire a lot of people as they go through, you know, different things in their life as well. Yes. And I met, um, this man told me, him and his brother, they both had um, trans lung transplant. So I call him my transplant brother. And um, he told me, he said, girl, you want to give out, but don't give up or something like that. But That's I will cool. always take it when I went to therapy. So I was like, okay, well, I want to give up, but I'm not. I'd be like, I want to give out, but I'm not. You got to keep pushing. We got that you voice in the back of your head. Yes. Mm -hmm. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. Keep pushing. No matter what you go through, keep pushing. So last question before we go. So I'm sure you have like a scar, right? What yeah. do you, mm -hmm. what? I guess, what did you use? Cocoa butter, um, any type of, of, you know, lotion to help kind of reduce the scar mark? Well, they say you can use, they tell you to use cocoa butter, but, you know, you, you're still going to have some scars. It's not going to 100% disappear because, you know, it, it's, it's still going to, it's still going to show. Okay. Okay. And see, my scar is like right in my chest. So, you know, whatever shirt I have on, it, it don't bother me. If it, it be shown, it's, it's, people see it, they see it, it don't bother me because at the end of the day, hey, I'm here. Okay. Some people might feel self-conscious, but I don't. That scar represents a lot. Exactly. All right. The block is hot. You got it blazing hot with our talk. So we about to be out. Peace.